Hey everyone, welcome again to A&D Do ID. Today we're going to talk about botulism and tetanus. Alright, so it's kind of interesting with botulism and tetanus because they're the same family of bacteria, but they actually have two very different effects on what happens when you get either of these diseases. So we'll start with botulism first. Pathophys for botulism is you basically can't release acetylcholine to cause the motor neuron to fire. That's why you end up limp and floppy, which is how we all associate botulism anyways. For the boards, though, we need to know the three different types of botulism. So there's foodborne botulism, wound botulism, and then infantile botulism. For foodborne botulism, that's where you have a dented can and you eat the canned good and you ingest the botulism toxin and you get foodborne botulism. Wound botulism is exactly what you think of. You got the toxin into an open wound and you get systemic spread of the organism in an infected wound and that's wound botulism. Uh, and then for infantile botulism, that is the where we think about honey. Honey has botulism spores in it which settle in the underdeveloped uh, infant GI tract and then proliferate, and that's where you get infantile botulism from. And that's, again, why infants under 12 months can't have honey, because after 12 months they have enough of a developed GI tract that they're able to stop those spores from um, forming and turning into botulism. So how does botulism present? Babies present with like they look like little limp babies it's kind of sad so poor feeding poor uh like a not a very strong suck reflux um they can't hold their head up it kind of is floppy they can have ptosis because they can't hold their little eyelids up because they're so sad and weak so cute but sad (laughs) and it's going to be a descending kind of generalized weakness uh, and hypotonia as well. So that's why you'll get that poor suck and those ocular findings first before you really get like um, upper extremity, lower extremity weakness, talk about diaphragm uh, issues. Really just kind of you're going to see some kind of ocular or poor feeding issue and they're going to give you some kind of risk factor. Probably not going to tell you that the kid was fed honey. Um, You got to dig that one out a little bit on your own. So uh, just to go a little bit further from what Ashley was talking about is how they present. So there's six Ds if you're one of those people that likes to have a mnemonic to remember. So diplopia, dysphagia, dysarthria, uh, dysphonia, descending paralysis, and then this one's probably a little bit of stretch, but dying to pee and poop, meaning there's urinary and stool retention. That's ridiculous. That's a dumb one. You buy you buy no, that. not at all. I'm, I'm against that. <laughs> hey, some people are some people are into it. No, but really for botulism, you just need to know the, the probably the difference between foodborne and infantile botulism, and how it's typically gonna present. Uh, treatment is you have to call the CDC and get them to send you um, antitoxin. Yeah, good luck with that. Which good I've luck tried. with that. They told me no. <laughs> uh, the treatment, so you need the antitoxin for foodborne and infantile botulism. However, uh, wound botulism is also treated with penicillin and antitoxin. So you kind of need both. And I will tell you, everyone's like, no one gets wound botulism. But there was actually a pretty big outbreak of wound botulism in the UK from heroin users. 
which I know we're all pediatricians, like, you know, but still very interesting. So we're going to kind of transition to tetanus, but I think it's important to think about mechanism of action on either side before we transition. So mechanism of action for botulism is that the toxin is released and it actually blocks the release in the um, neuromuscular junction of acetylcholine. And so this toxin for botulism says like, nope, you can't have acetylcholine. And so if you think about that, that means that you never get like a muscle firing because you didn't have the acetylcholine. That's why you're flaccid. Whereas tetanus, which is Clostridium tetani, is the, you know, microbiology name for it. This is actually a toxin, the same thing. It's in the same area, but it actually binds the presynaptic um, membrane of the neuromuscular junction. And it actually blocks the neurotransmitter inhibitory interneurons. And so tetanus basically says, it basically turns on all the acetylcholine, but you can't turn it off. And so that's why you get like the spasticity. So that's the lockjaw. You get tetany. You get tetany. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. It's like named after it. So you get like classically the lockjaw, the, um, what's that name? It's, there's a name for when you basically like spasm everything in your whole body and your, your. Rises sardonicus or is there that it the is. Jaw? No, you got it. That's it. That was it. Yeah. It's when you like, um, you know, they kind of arch their back. If you could see me and this wasn't a podcast, you would see me doing it and it would make sense. But um, that's not what we're doing here. Just picture it in your head. Yeah, that's cool. I'm watching it live, but you guys picture it in your head. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that is kind of um, the big differences between the two. And that's why we talk about them together because they're actually very similar in that they're very opposite, you know, which whatever that means. Obviously, we have a vaccine for this, which is good because I've heard it's a horrible way to die. We're not going to talk about the vaccine, so listen to the cootie shots on that because it's pretty in-depth on that. But just know that this can be caused, uh, mostly it's found in the soil and also in uh, fecal flora, which is pretty nasty actually. But um, like many things, it can be uh, fecal oral, which again is another reason we must vaccinate against it because it's kind of everywhere. Symptoms usually start within like 24 hours of being exposed to it. And it's usually from a wound, which is obviously why we give everyone uh, tetanus if they have wounds and they're not up to date. The other thing is that in some um, countries, the way that they treat the umbilical cord actually is kind of non-sterile and can, in, in, um, can lead to tetanus of the umbilical cord, which is kind of sad. And obviously that would be very life-threatening. You actually could see that. I was going to say, you could see that on the board. You could have a baby come in from a home birth and have symptoms consistent with tetanus, and they may ask you uh, what the treatment is or ask you what the potential causative agent is from somebody using a butter knife at home to right. got the umbilical cord. <laughs> to be honest, there's not a lot of treat great treatments for this, which is why we have the vaccine. Um, you kind of have to just support them through it and uh, see what happens. They would obviously need a lot of, um, they would probably need mechanical ventilation because they can't really use their muscles. And uh, it kind of sucks for them, to be honest. I think it would be really, really crappy. A lot of the mortality in some places is as high as 75%. Pretty bad. Don't get tetanus. Get your vaccine. Um, yeah. Vaccinate. You know? Vaccinate. Just do it. It's like really stupid not to. 
Uh, so I think that's it. Do you have anything else there, David? Nope. I think that's all we've got for botulism and tetanus. All right. See you next time.